Pentecost is three weeks away, and here's how the time clock works. Jesus appeared to his disciples for about 40 days after his resurrection. After Jesus ascends to the Father, the disciples head to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of Christ, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. They must wait for this gift because this gift is the secret to their ability to do what Jesus commanded them, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. And he added, lo, I be with you to the end of the age. And then in Acts 2, we get the account of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now the holiday of Pentecost wasn't created that day. Pentecost was already a Jewish holiday, a harvest festival. Jews from around the region had gathered in Jerusalem that weekend for the celebration of Pentecost. And God chooses this particular day, a day that already carried themes of fullness and celebration and abundance and blessing. He chooses that particular day to pour out his Holy Spirit on all of his followers. It's sort of like God co-ops his own Jewish holiday and then reshapes it by giving this amazing gift to his people. So if you count the 40 days from Passover, and remember the Spirit is given on Pentecost, the difference there, the amount of time from Jesus' ascension to the giving of the Spirit is 10 days. There's 10 days in there. And these are the 10 days of waiting. These are the days the disciples wait for the promise. And during the time that they're focused on Jesus' command to wait, we should observe some things about that time. The first thing they did not do was move ahead. They didn't try to create a media buzz. They didn't uh, organize a word of mouth campaign to spread the news. They didn't send out feelers trying to gauge public sympathy or empathy for what had happened to Jesus. Luke doesn't even mention if they had communion yet if they did any singing, if there was any worship time, we don't know any of that. What we do know was that for these 10 days, they were together. Together matters. Being present is important. And in their togetherness, they are waiting. Now we should think about these folks and these 10 days. These folks, like you and I, had things to do. They had food to produce, families to feed. We don't know if these folks were gathering in the evenings and coming and going during the days. We don't know that. We do know that their lives were nothing like our lives today. There were no factories. There were no five to nine or nine to five jobs. The pace and tempo of life was very different then than it is now. Food production. Tending to family life was simple and daily and hard work. And if you didn't do it, you didn't eat. 
We know there were about 120 of them in the room, so it wasn't a small room. My own prejudice is I think they were coming and going. I think they were taking care of the basic necessities of life, but doing it in a way that allowed them to continue and meet and wait for the gift of God. They were praying continually for the fulfillment of the promise of God. When I, when I hear the word wait, I also think of the word from the Gospel of John, abide. These disciples were waiting for a gift that would enable them to do what Christ asked them to do. And John gives us insight into what we must do in order to accomplish the work Jesus assigned to us. This is John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ, staying connected to Christ, dwelling in Christ, waiting in communion with Christ. This is one way of talking about what it means to be enabled to accomplish what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus desires that we would bear fruit. That's simple. I'm not sure how you could read that scripture any other way than to hear the call of Jesus, it is my desire that you bear much fruit. His design is that we be fruitful. The first type of fruit is the fruit that grows inside us. When we stay connected to Christ, Christ is able to shape us and mold us. When we lose sight of Christ, when we become disconnected from Christ, when we are out of touch with Christ, when we are distracted and not paying attention to Christ, then we are not cooperating with the work that Christ wants to accomplish in us and no fruit grows, nothing is produced. There is a second fruit that I think is also in mind here, kingdom fruit. Jesus is sending his disciples on mission. They are to proclaim the gospel that the kingdom has come, that the door is open, that men and women may enter the kingdom. Jesus has already labeled his disciples fishers of men and women. He wants folks to enter that kingdom. He wants new and more Christians. He came to save. He came to use us as agents of his saving grace. And this happens when we stay connected to him so that he can direct our work in mission as well as his work in our inner transformation. None of this is news 
to most of you. But I guess I would ask this question this morning. Are you abiding? Are you staying connected? Are you watching and waiting for the fruit that will appear in and through you? Or are you distracted by your own agenda? Do you find little fruit? Are you paying attention? Do you continue to yield to the will of God in your life? At the risk of mixing metaphors this morning, we sang a song about our lives being in the hand of the potter. Not only does God want to produce fruit in us, he wants to shape us. And the pottery metaphor is an excellent way of talking about the shaping that God wants to do in our lives. Our theme verse from last calendar year was from Jeremiah, talking about the way the potter shapes us. Scholars, many scholars think about the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah roughly like this. Uh, Isaiah 1 to 39 perhaps is addressing the 10 tribes of Israel and their demise at the hands of the Assyrians. And then it's likely at the end of verse 39, there's a shift. And that after that, about 100 years passes, and then we have the renewal words of God to bring the folks back once Persia comes into power. But Babylon is in there, and Jeremiah is predicting the downfall of Judah to the Babylonians. And it's in this time of, of prophecy where Jeremiah is talking to the people and saying, things are not going well. You are not allowing yourself to be used by God. You are far from me and there is a judgment that is going to come. And in chapter 18, we have these famous words. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation, concerning which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will change my mind about that disaster that I intended. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. The message is kind of straightforward and simple, I think. God is sovereign. He is the artist who is building and shaping. And the type of vessel that ultimately gets created depends on two things. The artistic choice of the artist and the character of the clay. So what kind of clay is it? I don't know if you've done any work as a potter recently, but one of the advantages of being a 
potter in 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth is you can just like buy the kind of clay you want. I mean, it's already been treated, it's been processed, all the imperfections have been already cleaned out of it. You can actually get it sterilized. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, but Jeremiah is not working with that kind of a product. He's not seeing that on the wheel. He's seeing pretty rough clay that has stones and pebbles, maybe a few twigs, imperfections in it. And the, the potter, before he began, would have removed all the imperfections, all the gravel, all the stone that he could find. But once the clay is thrown on the wheel and begins to shape, there's always the possibility that more imperfections are found. And as the artist is working, he finds a pebble here or a, a hard spot here. And so the purpose of the vessel is partially determined by how, by how successfully the artist can remove the imperfections. If porcelain is in the artist's mind, the clay must be exceptionally fine. If the clay is rough and unsightly, maybe a chamber pot is the best use of that particular lump of clay. Jeremiah is simply saying this. If the nation of Israel would cooperate with the master artist, God might change the destiny of this nation. If the clay would cooperate, if it would yield up its imperfections, if it would repent, it would then be useful to God and God would have more options for its use. But if we hang on to our imperfections, if we have grown attached to the gravel in our spirits, God might be limited in terms of what he can do with us. And he has every right to use us as he sees fit. His use of us depends, in some measure, on our cooperation with the hands of the artist. I remember the time when I finally understood that there was a difference between serving God the way I wanted to serve and serving God by doing what he asked me to do. There's a universe of difference between the two. Nancy and I were teaching out in Michigan in a Christian school. And she was teaching elementary grades and I was teaching middle school and high school and we were using the education degrees we had secured at Eastern Nazarene College and thought our lives were pretty much planned out at that point. We had careers, we had jobs, we were moving in a direction. And, and through a series of events, it became really clear to me that some of the things I had prayed about when I was younger were not mistakes, were part of the Father's plan for me, and that I was really hearing that the Father was calling me into pastoral service. I was not particularly pleased about that. It wasn't something I had desired to do. It was something that Nancy even less desired to be a part of. And we had to work our way through that, but as it became clear that this was what God was shaping us to do and be, we had to acknowledge that to work for God, even in a Christian school, is not the same as doing what God calls us to do. 
And, you know, we have ways of rationalizing and reading scripture and all kinds of different ways of convincing ourselves that God doesn't care or that he doesn't have a plan whenever that plan is inconvenient to us. And I don't mean to be saying that God has a plan for every decision you make in your life. I think that God's will for us is clear, that we are to live after the model of Jesus and that, that will of being gracious, compassionate and kind and loving is the most important expression of God's will in all of our lives. But there are times when he asks us for things. There are times when he asks us to change our behavior. There are times when he asks us to apologize for the unkind word we've spoken. There are times when he requires us to forgive someone that we currently are enjoying hating. He, he asks us for these kinds of things. He asks us to be gracious to people we'd rather not have around or to invite over for Thanksgiving dinner people we don't particularly like. He, he asks us for things. And we have to decide, will we serve God based on what we want to do? Or will we yield, will we surrender in these particular types of choices and do what it is we are convinced God is calling us to do? Over the next four weeks, there are four particular things I want to call you to. And this morning I want to call you to the tending of your spiritual life. Tending your spiritual life is your job alone. You answer for the choices you make and your usefulness to God is dependent in some degree on those choices. I'm not saying that your spiritual growth is your job alone. I'm saying that preparing for growth, waiting on the Spirit, yielding to God when he calls to you, that's your work. Surrendering to the processes of spiritual growth is your job. Attending the Word of God in prayer, those are things you must continue to do. We have to daily seek his face and listen for his will and respond with yes when we hear him speak. It's hardest to do in areas where we need to apologize or forgive or give away our resources or, or work harder than we want to work. Maybe the hardest thing is to be grateful when we're experiencing pain. I don't know. But the work of spiritual growth, of bearing internal fruit, even while there's a big part of it that is God's alone, there's a responsibility in it that is ours. I would observe this, however. We can do the individualistic, of, the individualistic work of preparing for growth better if we do it together. When I listen to God's word with others, I can check what I'm hearing. I can be encouraged by the faithfulness of others around me. Others can help me pay attention. They can call me back from our distractions. The examples of others can help point out the way for me. 
I don't know if you've had that experience. But when you're distracted, how do you know you're distracted unless someone like smacks you a bit and says, hey, pay attention here. I mean, every classroom teacher knows, like job one is calling back to attention all those kids whose minds are obviously wandered because they're staring out the window at the robin in the tree or playing with something in their desk or... We can help one another by calling our attention back to Christ when it becomes obvious to us that our friends are distracted by other things. But when I talk about tending your spiritual life, I also want to stress that God wants to use us for noble purposes. He's invested resources in our transformation. The Holy Spirit is a primary resource. But at the end of the day, I must cooperate with the grace and the insight and the resources he makes available to me so that I can do the work he calls us to do. It's unfortunate that if you continue to read in the book of Jeremiah after that picture that God gives the prophet, even though God says through Jeremiah, if that nation for whom I've planned destruction will repent, I will relent of the choice I made for them. And so here's the gracious offering of God again. You know, I'm, I'm willing to work with you to redeem everything that can be redeemed, to restore what can be restored, to help you be good news to all people that are around you. I'll, I'll help you in this mission, but you've got to cooperate with me. You've got to yield yourself to my shaping. You've got to step in to the kingdom. And, and um, verse 12 of that passage of Jeremiah 18 is Israel's response. These are the words. But they say, Israel says, it's of no use. We will follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. God says, my people have forgotten me. They burn offerings to a delusion. They have stumbled in their ways in the ancient roads and have, have gone into byways, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. All who pass by it are horrified and shake their heads. That's not us, right? we haven't decided that we will just walk our own way. I mean, we've already sung today in this service, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We, we sang the words of yielding together. And I'm trusting that we meant every word that we sang. Now, if we can only get a vision of what God wants to do through us. And I'm asking for the next three weeks, if you will pray specifically to that end, that you will tend your spiritual life in ways that waits for the vision of God, that asks him to make it clear to you how he might want to use you in your family, in your neighborhood, in this community. What fruit might the Holy Spirit want to bring to bear 
in you or through you? Will you wait in prayer? Will you spend time considering? Chima mentioned earlier that there is a, a prayer book designed to coincide with these messages. And I would encourage you to read through this. It's not a complicated prayer book, it's simple. There's also another prayer book, pocket prayers, that are in the lobby as well. I don't know what will most help you to wait for the leading of the Spirit in your life. But I invite you this morning, in these days, in these three weeks of time, to ask the Spirit how you might be useful and pledge to the Spirit that you will yield to His direction, that you will invite Him to use you and to search you and try you and see if there is any offensive way or gravel or twig or something in the clay of your life that you need to give up to Him and say, Lord, help me be your servant in the world and in the community in which you live and in your family, that the peace of Christ might come through you. We're going to sing in closing. Heavenly Father, we do not have adequate resources in ourselves to be or to accomplish what you've called us to do. And we ask your spirit to help us. We ask your spirit to guide us. We ask your spirit to make us the most gracious of all people. That together we can guard the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that we can live as your people. According to your will we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing the same in closing? Satisfied
Spirit of God enable you to do everything he asks of you to do to his glory now and forever. Amen.